Welcome to Talking Mopars, episode number 134, and another installment of High Performance Heritage. On this episode, we're going to feature a Dodge Superstock car that I didn't even know existed until recently. I'm super ashamed of it, but it's a really cool car, and I'm really excited to talk about it. And maybe you're like me, and you didn't even know that the car existed in the first place. So now you're going to know just like me, and like I said, it's a really, really cool car, and I can't wait to talk about it. But before we get to that, we have Project Car of the Week, high-performance parts, and a listener story. So without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth, and I am your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter, and this is Talking Mopars. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. This week's Project Car of the Week is a stray away from the normal Craigslist listing. This is actually from Facebook Marketplace, and it's local to me, posted in Tacoma, Washington. It is a 1970 Plymouth Sport satellite that has a lower price than it did originally. It was originally posted for $18,500. It has a lower price now of $16,500. Let's read this ad. Car starts, runs, moves. Very powerful, low-geared 391 SureGrip slash Posi. Four-speed manual, big block 383. Very rare, plum crazy FC7 color car. Like new BF Goodrich tires on rally wheels. Wipers, lights, turn signals work good. Glass, all windows roll up and down. Countless new parts, fuel tank, all soft lines. Brakes, dual exhaust, 40 series Flowmaster factory tips. Has some rust, pretty much like for the year. This is a one-year-only, 51-year-old car, not brand new. Needs some work and finishing. Great project. Cash only. Message me when you're ready to buy it with no BS. Clear title. No, I don't really care if I sell it or not. No trades. Okay, a couple items to address here. I just want everybody to know that I read these ads as they are typed out. So if there's any grammatical errors or anything like that, unless I misspeak, it's read exactly how it's written. So if it sounds weird in a couple spots, that's not my fault. Don't blame me. So a couple things here. First of all, you never have to even refer to a posi when you're talking about a sure grip because anybody who knows what a sure grip is, like I said, you don't even need to mention posi traction, okay? This is a Mopar we're talking about. Also, he says very rare plum crazy FC7 color car. It's a Plymouth. So that means it's inviolate. That's okay. Everybody misspeaks once in a while. We'll give him a break, but it is inviolate FC7. It appears to be an original FC7 color car, at least according to what I see and also the fender tag because he does have a picture of the fender tag. So the car runs and drives. That's very good. It is a, I would think, a rare car in the fact that how many Plymouth Sport satellites came in FC7. The price is... I think it's fair for what it is. It's a pretty cool car. He doesn't even mention this in the ad, but it does have an air grabber hood on it, which is not original to the car. Um, set up for hood pins. Um, still cool nonetheless. I, I like I like where this car is headed. Uh, it does have new tires, nice rally wheels. The car is patinaed. <laughs> um, the paint is starting to fade out. Reminds me a lot of the Dumpster Fire Roadrunner that I bought. Um, you can see that the factory paint is starting to fade, and it's kind of splotchy. But... Um, you know, it's a, it seems like a great project. 
The rust doesn't look too bad from what I can see. I'm looking at a picture of the passenger side right now. The car looks fairly straight. It does need lower quarters. I do see the fender tag, and it is an original FC7 car, which is very cool. Originally black interior. The fender tag does show us that this is not an original four-speed. Uh, this is not an original 391 SureGrip car. This is not an original big block 383 car. Um, and it's a, originally an automatic. So <laughs> this car is cool. Don't get me wrong, but it is a little bit misrepresented. So for people that don't know how to read fender tags, one of the codes on this fender tag is E44, which is a 318 two-barrel car, nothing special. Also D31, which as we know is an A904 three-speed automatic. And then you have, um, let's see here, what has it got? Uh, I see C55, so that's a bucket seat car, that's cool. And obviously it's a sport satellite, so there is no N96 for the air grabber hood. So... This car, if you didn't know exactly what you were looking at when you were looking at this fender tag, you could assume that it's a real four-speed car. It's really, you know, a big block car, factory. It's a real, uh, you know, 391, eight and three-quarter sure grip car. That is not the case here, okay? It's also not a D91 or a D, what is it, 69 or something like that. So it's not a real sure grip axle. Um, well, I mean, it, it is a real sure grip axle that's in the car, but it didn't come with that originally. So you have to, you really have to be prepared when you go to look at a car like this. If you don't know fender tag codes, and I'm no expert, I just, there's a couple that stand out to me. You really have to go with, uh, some knowledge, or if you have a smartphone, just look up the codes so you can properly decode one of these cars. So this car, while it's cool being a sports satellite, it really is nothing, crazy special other than the color. So what I said earlier about it being somewhat rare, you know, basically the color is the only thing that makes it that rare in the first place. Um, I've never seen a sports satellite that's FC7. That doesn't mean there aren't a lot of them out there. I don't know the exact numbers, but, you know, calling this car rare is a little bit of a stretch. So forgive me if you got the wrong impression. The car is cool. It is relatively clean. There is a little bit of uh, rust on it. Lower quarters, a little bit on the trunk rail. Um, but uh, nothing that can't be repaired quite easily. And, you know, it's a bucket seat car. I think I said that, C55 on the fender tag. Um, cool car. You know, I, I like that it's got an air grabber hood. I, I like that it's been converted to a four-speed. It does have a Roadrunner steering wheel in it. Um, so it, it's been converted to a four-speed at one point. Hopefully they did a good job doing that. Uh, like I said, it has the bucket seats in it. Um, you know, it's a cool car. It would be a great project car and it would make a great superbird clone if you ask me um, especially with you know the modifications that have already been done you could probably get you know 1500 bucks for the hood you know if you didn't if you didn't want the air grabber hood um you know if you're building a superbird uh clone or tribute uh, i think this would be a great car it's originally fc7 so it's got that going for it so if you build a, a superbird tribute that's you know in violet you know fc7 then at least when they look at the fender tag, they go, oh, it's not a real, it's not a real Superbird, obviously. It's not even a real Roadrunner, but it is a real FC7 car. So you got that going for you. 16.5 with the car, somewhat misrepresented. I don't know how I feel about that price. Um, you know, maybe like, maybe like 14,000 or something like that. But the car is solid. Uh, it does look like it's had some patchwork done or at least some Rust-Oleum painted on the floor pans. 
Um, I'm guessing there was some surface rust. The engine bay doesn't look too bad. A little bit of surface rust here and there. Um, it does have a three-speed wiper, I see. Um, it does have uh, an Edelbrock intake on it, <laughs> you know, um, no headers or anything like that. The Edelbrock intake appears to be the only performance part on the engine. Um, I don't know what kind of carburetor it has. Uh, we're going to go ahead and assume it's some sort of a four barrel. Um, it does have new wheels and tires. Uh, this car does have potential. Uh, for 14000 I'd be a little bit more inclined. You know, on first impressions, when I first saw it, I realized that it's not original as far as the N96 air grabber option. But from what I saw, it was originally FC7. And of course, the big block and the four speed kind of threw me off. So at first I was like 16.5. That's that's awesome. Um, the original price was 18.5. So he drops it 2000. I wonder what that came from, especially since it doesn't seem like the car was posted that long. So he immediately dropped two thousand dollars. And uh, that may be from people going, hey, <laughs> you know, you're misrepresenting this car, yada, yada, yada. Whatever the case may be, um, it, it's a cool car. And I, I believe it does deserve some love. Uh, 14000 this car, 13000 this car would probably be sold today. 14000 probably be sold tomorrow. 10000 we won't even be talking about it. <laughs> but um, definitely a, a decent project car. And I think it would make a great Superbird tribute. And I know a lot of people are out there going, why does everything have to be? Why does everything that's not a Roadrunner, you know, as far as a, a satellite or Belvedere have to be a Superbird tribute? It, they don't. But I like Superbirds and I can't afford one. So naturally, my first inclination is to go right for the Superbird tribute for a car that's not a real Roadrunner. And even sometimes, you know, if you get a hammered enough Roadrunner that doesn't have anything original on it, you might as well, you know, if you like Superbirds like I do, you know, there's I don't see any harm in converting it to a Superbird. But car is cool. Um, clear title. That's always a plus. Uh, you know, 16.5. You know, I think the price is OK. You know, I'm not jumping for joy like it's a hell of a deal or anything like that. And I think a lot of people on first glance looking at this car, you know, they'll do exactly what I did. Oh, my God. Eight and three quarter, 391 sure grip, four speed, big block, FC7. Gosh, this car's awesome. Bucket seat car. Um, it has everything you'd want out of a sports satellite, if you ask me. So, you know, I understand why people would see it and go, that's an amazing deal. But upon closer inspection, you realize that not everything is as it seems. But... That was Project Car of the Week, the 1970 Plymouth Sports Satellite posted on Facebook Marketplace in Tacoma, Washington for 16500 FC7 car, bucket seat car. Unfortunately, originally a 318 two-barrel car with a 904 automatic. That was Project Car of the Week. This week's high-performance part is going to be a quick one. But in the 1992 movie Gun Crazy starring Drew Barrymore, there is actually a yellow Plymouth Roadrunner, which I think is cool because I own one. Um, it's kind of funny how remarkably similar to my car as far as condition this car is. It's got a dented fender. This one is on the driver's side, not the passenger side like my car. It does have the Roadrunner hood. My car does not. It does have uh, a hammered headlight bezel and one missing like mine. The grill is definitely in better condition than mine. Um, the lower valance uh, in the front is smashed like mine. Um, it even has shackles in the back, much like my car. The only difference is that 
my car is now up on the shackles and this one is not. It actually looks to be in the same position that mine was on the shackles originally with two more notches to go before you are at the very top um, or at the highest. Uh, it has slotted mags in the back and rally wheels in the front. It does appear to be an original Roadrunner. That's pretty cool. Um, so, you know, me owning a 73, I, I've been paying a little bit more attention now. Not that I went out and watched Gun Crazy, but I was doing some research on Roadrunners and I happened across um, this car and realized that it was in a movie. So I thought, oh, we'll just cover that on high performance parts. That was this week's high performance part. The 1973 Plymouth Roadrunner in the movie Gun Crazy starring Drew Barrymore from 1992. And I can tell it's a 73. The dead giveaway is the hood, how it's got the little vents on the backside. The 74s did not have that. Now, it could be a 74 with a 73 hood. You never know. But we're going to go ahead and assume it was a 1973. So there you go, folks. That was High Performance Parts. This may come as a shock to you guys, but I've been trying to cut down on carbs. And no, I'm not talking about carburetors. I'm talking about carbohydrates. We're all trying to eat better. But healthy breakfast doesn't have to be boring. Magic Spoon has the amazing flavors you love, but without all of the bad stuff that you find in typical cereals. So to help feed my love of cereals, I got myself a variety pack from Magic Spoon. These variety packs have four flavors. They're cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. These packs have zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs. And only 140 calories per serving it's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. It tastes exactly like regular cereal from your childhood, but is super nutritious. It's delicious but super healthy cereal that really brings joy to your mornings, afternoons, or evenings, especially after working up an appetite after a long day working on your project. Go to magicspoon.com slash MoparPod to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code MoparPod at checkout to save $5 off your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash MoparPod and use the code MoparPod to save $5. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode of Talking Mopars. time once again for listener stories. This story was sent to us all the way back in February. I actually just started going through my spam folder and discovered some listener stories that were missing. So, you know, I check that damn folder like, I don't know, once, maybe three times a year. So I need to get better about that because I didn't realize that there were some stories that had gotten lost in my spam folder. So my apologies to all of you who haven't heard your listener story. Share it on the show, and that's my fault. So I'm going through and making sure that there were no more that I missed. I'm, it's going to take me a long time. Um, so I was going through them recently, and I found this message from a gentleman named Joe who listens to the podcast. Here is Joe's story. Hi, Chris. I'm not sure exactly how to start, and I am hoping that you can help me. Before you say no, can you make sure that you read this email or at least half of it before you delete it? Smiley face. 
I am sure you get emails from people all the time asking for you to find them cars, but I have an extremely special car that I don't know who else to ask. I've loved Mopars since I was a kid, and I bought my first Mopar when I was 20 with another friend of mine who was 18 at the time. We both took our high school graduation money and bought a 1970 Charger RT, plum crazy with a white vinyl roof and interior for $2,200 in 1998. Both of our parents were going to kill us because it was a huge POS, or project if you want to say it in a nice way. Both of us never got into all of the video games and other things that most of our peers were doing with their spare time. We spent every minute that we had fixing the Charger and racing it at a local track. Both of us tried to go to college, but we struggled and dropped out. I dropped out first and joined the Marine Corps, while Mike dropped out a year later and joined the Army. I'm not exactly sure how or when, but I think that it was sometime when I came home from my first leave, Mike told me that he was going to join the Army and asked if I could buy him out of the Charger, which I did. I ended up doing two different tours, one in Iraq and one in Afghanistan. After receiving a wound, I was sent back stateside. I got out of the Marines shortly after and came back home. I was really messed up mentally and ended up doing a lot of drinking, drugs, and fighting. During this time, I sold the Charger, which I still regret to this day, but I figured that Mike and I could always buy another. A few months after I sold the Charger, Mike was killed in Iraq, which really tore me up more. I was arrested numerous times for fighting in DWIs, but my last DWI ended up to be a blessing. Part of my sentencing was to be tested, and I found out that I had severe PTSD. I went to rehab that focused on people with PTSD. When I got out, I ended up buying another Charger, a 1969 this time, and worked on that every time that I wanted to drink. Also, I went back to school and received a BA in mathematics and a master's in education. Last year, I finished a PhD in education and teach at a local technical college where I get to teach our next generation how to work with their hands and build things, which is a losing trade. I love every day that I get to do this. I turned 43 a few months ago and can say that I have not touched a drop of alcohol in 15 years. It still kills me that I sold the 1970 Charger RT. It's like having a hole in my heart. Honestly, I have never had a friend like Mike before and since, and I get sad every time that I think about him. I have been looking for a 1970 Charger RT ever since I put my life on the right path, but I can never find one. I take that back. I have found ones that are completely done, but I enjoy working on them. It is comforting to my soul. Or I have found ones that people think are gold, and I could never afford them. Mopars have saved my life and helped me through an extremely dark time in my life. I am not asking for a special price. I am happy to pay a fair price. Also, I did not tell you this story to try to soften you up, but I try to share my experiences with as many people as possible because many of our young men and women coming back have invisible wounds. I am not sure if you can help me find one, but it would mean more than I can say in this email. I love the show and I love the passion that you have with Mopar cars, but also with your willingness to share your expertise. I am happy to talk to you more if you want more information. Thank you again for your time, Joe. Thank you, Joe, for sending in your story. First things first, thank you for your service. I appreciate you and all of the men and women that serve in our armed forces. Thank you all. Um, you know, Joe, I, I don't talk about it much, but I have had substance abuse issues in my past as well. And I, I have a comeback story. And... You also have a comeback story, and I love comeback stories, so I'm happy to hear that you are getting your issues taken care of and that you are sober for 15 years. That is amazing. Congratulations on your sobriety and changing your life for the better. As far as helping you find a charger, um, well, b before we get into that, you did mention me sharing my expertise 
<laughs> so I guess the second thing I should say is I am no expert. I'm just extremely passionate and I love learning about Mopars and sharing whatever limited knowledge I have with you guys. And a lot of you guys already know a lot of the stuff that I'm talking about, and that's cool too. If you're like me, you love talking about Mopars and you love talking about stuff that maybe you've, you know, rehashed over and over and over again. But if you're a true Mopar enthusiast, you don't mind talking about them, especially things that you already know about and sharing that information. Um, I don't really do much Mopar hunting for other people. Um, I have in the past, and it, it takes so much time to find people cars, especially when you start talking about budgets and what they're looking for. But I don't have a problem with pointing you in the right direction. Um, I would, if I was you, Joe, I would reach out to my friends over at Mopars 5150. They are very good guys. And I was just at their muscle car sell-off at their location in Cleveland, Georgia. And they had a ton of Charger Project cars. And I'm sure they still have some. So if you are looking and you're seriously looking, which it sounds like you are, and you want something to work on, if you want a project, trust me, they have some projects the guys over there, Troy and Tony, uh, they're all great and they all love helping veterans. And I would reach out to Mopars 5150. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram. Reach out to them in a message. Tell them I sent you. Tell them what you're looking for. Tell them you're looking for a project car. Give them your budget and what you're looking for. And I'm sure they can help you out. If not them, I know that they have connections as well. And I'm sure they'd be willing to, you know, hook you up with somebody that maybe has what you're looking for if they don't, which I would find it hard to believe that they don't have the project car you're looking for because they had more project cars than I've ever seen in one location before. I know they've sold a few, but I know they had a bunch left over when I left. So reach out to Mopars 5150, either Troy or Tony. Tell them I sent you. They'll take good care of you. And they're, like I said, they're great guys. So... Um, hopefully they'll be able to find you exactly what you're looking for. And I have confidence that they will be able to do so. Once again, Joe, thank you for your service. I'm happy to hear your comeback story and that you have 15 years of sobriety. That's, you know, that's no easy task for anybody that's ever dealt with substances, um, that's ever been addicted or an addict. We all know that once an addict, always an addict, but that doesn't mean that you have to give in to your addiction. So it takes a really strong person with a lot of mental fortitude to battle addiction and come out the other end. So, you know, congratulations, man. My hat's off to you. And, you know, you're doing something good for the community now. You know, you're an educator. That's awesome. Especially when you're talking about, you know, working at a local technical college, helping the next generation to you know, be blue collar, work with their hands and build stuff. That's awesome. So hats off to you once again for that. Joe, thank you so much for sending in your story. If for whatever reason, the guys over at Mopars 5150 cannot help you, please reach back out to me and I'll do whatever I can. But if you were to ask me, you know, where would I point the finger to send you for somebody that I think can help you? I would definitely say Mopars 5150. Thank you, Joe, for sending in your story. If you have a Mopar story that you'd like to hear shared on the show, you can submit your story one of two ways. 
The first way is by leaving me a voice message on my voicemail box at 209-28-MOPAR, and I will play your story on the show. The other way is to send me an email. You can reach me at my email address, which is chris at talkingmopars.com. I love hearing listener stories, and I love sharing them with the audience. That was Listener Stories. All right, guys, it's time once again for High Performance Heritage. A lot of you have reached out to me expressing how much you miss the old format of the show, and that's why last week we went back to the old format, and that's why this week we are continuing that trend with another edition of High Performance Heritage. High Performance Heritage are episodes of the show where we highlight the movers and shakers of Mopar history, so the people or the cars, you know, special cars within the history of Mopar that we want to highlight because of the impact they had on the high-performance heritage that we know and love of Mopars and Chrysler Corporation. And this week is no different. We have a special car uh, to highlight today. Um, So I guess let's just get into it. You know, Chrysler Corporation's history is rich with some pretty awesome factory drag cars. And when you think of the early days of the original muscle car era and the factory drag cars offered by Cryco, you may be like me (laughs) and immediately think of like the Max Wedge cars or the super stock Hurst Hemi darts and Barracudas of 1968, which just happens to be one of my favorite years for Mopar muscle cars. I've said it before. I think I said it on the very first episode of this podcast on episode number one. I think 1968 was a pivotal year for Mopar muscle cars. Anyway, I've admitted this many times before, but I am no expert. I I admitted it earlier in the podcast during the listener story. (laughs) I've admitted this so many times that I am no expert in the history of Mopars. And there's actually one Mopar that we're talking about today that wasn't even on my radar. But I find it to be awesome. And I'm super disappointed in myself for not knowing about this specific car because it's so cool. And a lot of you are listening right now. And you're probably thinking to yourself, how in the hell did Chris not know about this car? And to be honest, I have no excuses. I just hadn't heard of it before. And that car is the 1966 Dodge D-Dart super stock factory lightweight, of which only 50 were ever produced. And it just so happens to be the only super stock car from Chrysler that was produced in 1966. This car was built for the D-Stock class of NHRA and AHRA drag racing. It was equipped with a hot-rodded version of the first of the high-performance LA small block engines, the 273 cubic inch V8. This particular version of the 273 was bumped up from 235 horse to 275 horse, which, you know, may not seem like much power in the grand scheme of things, but remember this was 1966 in a factory string bean A-body Dodge Dart. 275 horsepower can move a dart pretty damn good. Just look at the high-winding 340s that they put in the later A-bodies, you know, with the Dodge Dart 340 swingers and stuff like that. Um, So where did the 40 horsepower jump from 235 to 275 horsepower come from in the D-Dart? Well, the 235 horsepower 273 was outfitted with racer brown valve springs, a camcraft 284-degree and 500-inch lift cam. Doug's headers, a dual point distributor, and a Holley 4160 on top of the factory four barrel intake manifold. Combine that with a Hurst shifter attached to an A833 four speed clutch components from Weber and an eight and three quarter with a sure grip and 486 gears, and you have a potent little small block package in a factory lightweight car that no one would even recognize as something special since 
the unassuming D-Dart was without any special badging or anything that would actually let the guy in the lane next to you at a red light know what he was lining up against. As far as anyone else would know, you were just driving a regular 1966 Dodge Dart GT. Unfortunately, <laughs> this is funny, you'd probably be sweating a little bit and have a little bit of paranoia because the D-Dart was first without air conditioning. So you're sweating your balls off in that thing. <laughs> Nor did it have a factory warranty. So you blow it up. Sorry, you can't take it to Cryco and say, hey, guys, I blew this thing up. And they're going to say, well, you bought a race car. <laughs> but um, you can verify the authenticity of a D-Dart by checking the VIN. And much like the 1968 Dodge Dart Superstock Hearst Hemi cars, the first four characters are going to be LO23. Now, were these cars the quickest? No, absolutely not. Their quarter mile capabilities were in the low 14 second range at over 90 miles an hour, but definitely under 100 miles an hour. The D-Dart was by no means the fastest Mopar of its time, but it definitely was no slouch. And Chrysler Corporation should be celebrated for their efforts in drag racing during the golden era of muscle cars. They really made it a point to listen to the enthusiasts and understand what we were looking for in cars especially if you were the weekend racer. So props to Chrysler Corporation for recognizing that a lot of the enthusiasts that bought their cars were fans of muscle cars and cars that could perform very well in the quarter mile. I'd like to take a second here to thank Jed Scott, creator of the infamous YouTube channel Scott Speed Shop and the owner of the one and only Jezebel, which may be the most famous ratty 70 charger in the world we were on a live stream a little bit ago uh, gosh it must have been a week maybe two weeks ago and uh he started talking to me about his project yard dart and telling me the backstory of it and the his yard dart was actually heavily influenced by the superstock d dart and i had never heard of him before so he gave me some you know background information and then i went and did a little bit of studying of my own and figured out how cool these cars really were just a really awesome. When I think of Superstock darts, I think of the 1968 Hearst Hemi Superstock dart. I had no idea that in 66, the only Superstock car uh, from the factory by Dodge was this D dart. And, um, you know, to hear that they threw a little 273 that was hopped up in it and that it could run 14 seconds, you know, low 14s in the quarter mile. Um, that's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, um, you have some of the crazier factory drag cars later on in Mopar history, like in the A12s of 1969 and a half. Um, those were very potent cars, uh, low, low 13s, I believe. And, you know, it's, it's good to know that even, you know, during the Max Wedge era and heading into 1968, you know, you have the 1966 D-Dart which I think is just really cool. I'd love to see one in person, but only 50 were built. Um, so that makes them a very rare A-body. I've never seen one in person, but now I have like a, a, a mission. <laughs> I really want to see one of these cars up close. Um, I believe they were only made in white. I could be wrong. Um, maybe I didn't do enough research on that, but uh, definitely a cool car. Um, gosh, you know... <laughs> When you talk about A-bodies, most people are like, yeah, put a big block in an A-body, you know, much like the Superstock Hemi Dart. You know, they put a Hemi in that thing and it ran 10s. Um, but, uh, you know, when you think about 
an A body, you automatically think, you know, when you're talking about drag racing, throw a big block in it. Now, like I said, this car wasn't, you know, <laughs> a, a record holder or anything like that that I know of. But for the class that it was running, uh, 14 seconds, you know, from the factory and a little small tire Dodge Dart with a little 273 cubic inch engine. I mean, that sounds like fun to me. And, it, you know, it's nothing extreme. You know, uh, when you like I said, when you think about the Hurst Hemi darts or even the factory A12 cars, you know, they're, they're, a little, they're definitely on the extreme side of things. But um, these little D darts are really cool. Uh, so now, you know, as far as A bodies, I was never really a fan of the early A bodies. You know, and I shouldn't say that. I think they're cool. But if you put a, you know, 67 through 72 Dodge Dart next to, you know, an earlier one and asked me which one I would rather have, I would definitely take the 67 plus. <laughs> but uh, it's funny because I do know where an early Dodge Dart GT that's red and I believe it does have a four speed. I know where a car like that is. It's actually on my friend's route at work. And I've seen it a couple times. Haven't taken any pictures. I haven't done a stocking Mopars episode on it. But now I'm inclined to go see if that car is still sitting in that driveway in the same spot and do a stocking Mopars episode on that car. Because I find I now I'm very interested in the earlier Dodge Darts. And who knows, maybe I could pick one up for super cheap and have some fun. Um, but I never really consider, you know, when I think about drag cars, I think about, you know, bigger tires, big blocks. <laughs> you know what I mean? I didn't even think about uh, earlier Dodge Dart. You know, I've seen them with big blocks and big tires and stuff like that. But I never really considered, you know, putting a hot little small block in one and having a lot of fun at the strip, uh, you know, and those things ran 14 seconds, you know, the D darts. So, I mean, and that's with minimal, you know, hop up parts. <laughs> so if you really got into the small block, you know, what kind of what kind of little small block, you know, track beast could you build? <laughs> so that's a question that I have now. And now I'm going to do some more research on those early A bodies and see what uh, what little secrets they have hidden, because the D dart was a secret to me. And I thought it was cool enough that it would be a fun addition to the catalog of high performance heritage episodes we have now. So that was this week's high performance heritage highlighted vehicle, the 1966 Dodge D-Dart, one of 50, and the only super stock car offered from Dodge in 1966. That was High Performance Heritage. There you have it, my friends. Another episode of Talking Mopars is in the books. For everything you need to know about this show, you know where to go, TalkingMopars.com. And you can reach me by emailing Chris at TalkingMopars.com or by leaving me a voicemail on my voicemail box at 209-28-MOPAR. And you just might get to hear yourself on this show. So keep sharing those Mopar stories with me and anything else that is on your Mopar addicted mind. Don't forget how important it is to keep your Mopar protected from the elements. If you do need protection like a car cover, don't wait. Head on over to TalkingMopars.com, click on the Affiliates tab, and go get your Mopar covered today. Before we shut this podcast episode down, if you want some Talking Mopars merchandise like t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and cool swag like that, 
check out the merch shop on TalkingMopars.com. And for exclusive bonus episodes and videos only for my supporters, become a Facebook supporter today and get immediate access to those benefits. That's it, my friends. Until we talk again, I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.